funny how? It'd be funny like I'm a clown, I amuse you. gentlemen welcome to silver screen video my name is jacob i'm here with my co-host jonathan what's up john not much jacob still breathing still uh surviving so uh i guess that's all we can look forward to these days hell yeah we are coming to you live well i am coming to you live from the coronavirus capital of the world wuhan who that's what i say <laughs> I'm in the middle. <laughs> I'm in the middle. You're old news, Wuhan. Yeah, you're old news, Wuhan. It's time for a. There's a new king in town, and his name is New York, baby. I honestly couldn't tell you how Washington is doing right now. I have not followed anything with my own state. Yeah, it's. Uh, I don't know. It's not New York. I know that. I know there's because there is no New York. This is the. Uh, I'm in the middle of the middle of the eye of the hurricane here, folks. New yeah. York always has to be number one, regardless of the game that's being played. <laughs> Number one in Corona deaths, number one in Broadway theaters, you know, it's it's a give and a take. All right, folks, so today we are coming to you uh, with a special quarantine episode. Uh, this is not your regularly scheduled programming, uh, but today we are going to be focused on uh, nostalgia, cinematic nostalgia, which might be... Uh, a depressing thing to think about when you're locked up in quarantine, or uh, it might make the days a little bit better. And we're going to talk about some of the stuff that made us nostalgic. And uh, Jonathan, I'm going to be honest, buddy, you're going to be leading the way on this one. So you want to let us know how this is going to work? So yeah, I'll tell you what's going to happen. I've got a list of movies that are all movies that most of the people our age watch when they were kids. Now, the interesting thing about our situation is both of us were raised in a similar fashion, you can stop me if I say something that uh, didn't apply to you, but we couldn't go to the movies. We couldn't watch anything over like a PG. In my house, it was if it's not Disney, you can't watch it unless it's like a PG John Wayne Western. Right. Because guns and killing people and hanging people are okay, but no, you know, whatever the fuck my parents were afraid of me seeing as a kid. So no, no female anatomy. Yeah, like no nudity, no swearing, but like I said, uh, gunning Native Americans down and then celebrating about it, that's A-OK. -okay. <laughs> um, and then Disney, you know, we all know Disney has its uh, has its skeletons in the closet, but, you know, even today as I'm actively hating Disney and what they're attempting to do with the world of cinema, I would be a complete hypocrite if I didn't recognize what they meant to me growing up, what they meant to millions of of kids growing up, what they still mean growing up. Absolutely. So before we get started, would you say that a bulk of your movie watching was like, you know, the old school Disney movies or did you watch something else? Yeah, no, a, a significant portion of my movie watching at that age was Disney animated films. I know some people kind of grew up on the live action movies from the 50s and 60s. But for me, it was it was just about all the animated movies. I actually had a because um, I owned a few of them, and uh, we talked about this off pod. But they have those beautiful uh, white hard cases, uh, true heads 
will know uh, exactly what I'm talking about. These white, what were they made out of? I guess plastic, but it was kind of like a soft plastic, you know? Yeah, it was a weird soft plastic that was hollow. Right. It's it's right. it's really yeah, it's a really weird thing, but they were so fucking cool. Like like the goal was, I don't know about you, but the goal was to have all your Disney movies be that that style case. Right. Well, I'll tell you. My my mom used to clean houses. So, I guess you could say, you know, I came from money. <laughs> and uh <laughs> my, my mom used to clean houses and uh one of the houses that she cleaned was an old woman who had grandkids and she had every Disney animated movie in, like in existence. Like she had them all like not displayed, but in like one of those, uh, and this is another relic from an old era, but uh, one of those uh, v- VHS uh, holders, you know, that you would have by your TV. And it had like, it had like, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know if it had every Disney movie, but I mean, it had a shit ton of animated movies, stuff that I had never seen before under any context. And so that's where I first saw, you know, uh, Bambi and Pinocchio and some of these movies that at that point were, you know, 50 and 60 years old. And, but she also had, of course, the newer ones, Little Mermaid and, uh, you know, Aladdin and things like that. And I feel like people don't remember that back in the day, Disney used to have a thing where they would, they would put a movie in a vault like, which literally meant that the movie just wasn't available for purchase, like, but like once every seven years. And then every seven years, it would be like, okay, well, this year they're releasing Sleeping Beauty from the vault. So you can buy Sleeping Beauty. And there's a few copies of Cinderella left over from last year when they brought that out of the vault. But like, let's say you wanted uh, Snow White, for example, or whatever. Let's say you wanted Bambi or Pinocchio. Well, sorry, there's another three years before that's going to come out of the vault. And it was a really weird sort of scarcity creating system that I, I'm assuming they made money on, but uh, it, it kind of turned the VHS releases of these movies into events, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It was like, that was Disney's like kind of early grab to be like a, like a creative studio. And, you know, for all their faults, they have had, like, we wouldn't have a lot of the amazing animation that we have if it wasn't for Disney. Now, when they switched over to digital, like you could argue like, you know, that kind of sucks the soul out of it. You know, forget, you know, the originally hand-drawn fucking Snow White. Let's watch Zootopia type shit. Now, not to say Zootopia is a bad movie, but you know what I mean? Like when we start getting away from those traditional, beautiful hand-drawn movies that, you know, were early parts of the vault. So, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I will always have, a special place in my heart for 2d animation, especially that, you know, Disney brand of 2d animation that, you know, I mean, that's, that's what we grew up with. You know, those, those uh, early Disney movies. I actually used to, um, I don't know if you remember this, but a big part of my nostalgia growing up that was Disney related was, well, (laughs) first of all, do you remember the intro, the blue intro that was the 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 castle with the with the little arc over it. Do you remember that that that? Thing? Oh yeah, yeah. For we sure. should we, we should actually put that in the episode. I think in the uh, like a little to give our listeners a taste of what that sounded like. I'm sure it's on YouTube or something. And um, that 
Uh, sorry, what I got distracted with that because I was thinking of that. But um, a big part of my nostalgia factor when I was younger was there was a magazine. It was a little, they called them a digest, which it means it was just like a little tiny reader's digest sized magazine. And it was called Disney Adventures. Do you remember this? Kind of, but I think, what, were there games inside? Uh, Yeah, some of it was games and stuff, but it was all kinds of stuff, man. It was like... It was a kid's magazine that was basically like trying to be as cool as possible. You know, this was for like the cool kid. Like, and and it's hard to, it's hard to, you know, so much stuff is for kids these days, you know, like, you know, you go on YouTube, they have YouTube for kids only, you know, and iPad for kids There's so much kids content. But back then it was a little bit different. Like, I feel like the early nineties, that was the beginning of like content that was specifically created for children other than like Saturday morning cartoon shows or whatever. And so this magazine was, would be like, here's an interview with the director of flubber, you know, and like Robin Williams would be on the cover and all the advertisements would be like video games and shit like that. And it was almost like, and this is of course back before the internet. So it was almost like a, a window to like the outside world. It was like, well, if I need to know what movies to see or what, you know, uh, music people were listening to. Of course, I wasn't allowed to listen to any of the music, but I would read Disney Adventures. And if I needed to know what celebrities to care about, you know, Jonathan Taylor Thomas or whatever, you know, then I would I would read Disney Adventures. And it was almost like kind of like a New York Times for like an, an early 90s kid, you know? Well, and- I'm the more I hear about it, the more I'm thinking, I don't think I would have been allowed to read that if I'm being honest. You so- know, I'm going to be honest. I was surprised I was too, but I think I, the, the, the place and the thing is like, I never had a subscription to it, you know, like uh, my primary means of getting it was I would go to the grocery store with my mom and in the checkout aisle, I would just hope there was a copy, a new copy of Disney adventures. And, and yeah, so when there was a new one, I, my mom would buy it for me and you know, whatever. I think maybe because it was Disney related, it was okay. Yeah, I think like, you know, that that usually used that was a safe bet. Like as long as Disney marks it like, you know, it should be fine. Right. But I guess my my point is around this nostalgia thing and talking about Disney is that like not only was I like a big fan of their movies and blah blah blah, you know, when you're a kid, but also like literally my guidebook to like youth culture that didn't involve church. You know, like kid culture, what other kids were listening to and watching and enjoying and whatever. My guidebook to that was literally a magazine that was owned by the Disney company. So like Disney movies and stuff wasn't just the things I was looking at, but it was the window through which I was looking at this uh, nascent like kid pop culture universe. You know what I mean? No, for sure. And uh, and, and, you know, the only thing, honestly, when you when you started to describe it, what I thought of was Highlight. It's not Disney related, but I remember playing with those when I was a kid. That's yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. And you know, Nickelodeon used to have a magazine. I feel like it was like magazines for kids were like a new thing in the nineties because I used to read Nickelodeon magazine, and then they also they would have like Sports Illustrated for kids, and like I, I don't know, I feel like that was a huge. Speaking of nostalgia, that was a huge part of my like, you know, early involvement was just reading those kids' magazines, you know. It's funny you mentioned Nickelodeon because when I first kind of thought about a nostalgia episode before I told you about it, I was thinking, man, how cool would it be to like do a Nickelodeon 
cartoons, like actual cartoons, not movies we watched when we were a kid. And then I was like, I don't think anyone wants to hear me talk about that for 15 hours. Uh, so I, <laughs> well, hold on, I decided hold on, hold on. a different way. Just briefly, though, just briefly, though, what were some of your go-to Nickelodeon cartoons? Because, um, I, dude, I, I, I lived in front of Nickelodeon as a kid. I'm going to say Doug was basically perfect. Yes. Um, yes. Hey Arnold to this day is one of the greatest cartoons for kids ever made. They're both on Hulu in case anyone's feeling especially nostalgic. Now Rugrats. Okay. Oh yeah. Rugrats dude. Rugrats. Yeah. That's I also rem- on uh, Hulu. I remember watching. I remember there was a big thing. I watched Nickelodeon when I was a kid and there was a thing that was like Nicktoons. We are going to introduce cartoons that are produced by Nickelodeon. And I was so blown away. And the first three were Doug, Rugrats, and Ah, Real Monsters. Do you remember that one? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was getting to that. Oh, hell yeah. Yep. And then that intro, man, with the screaming and like, dude, everything about the show made you feel like you you shouldn't be watching it as a kid. It was perfect. Yeah. It was like, this is bad. You know, this is, this is something that your parents shouldn't be letting you watch. Um, and then Rocco's modern life and Ren and Stimpy, I think were the next two. Dude, Rocco's modern life. Oh, yeah, dude. Rocco's modern life, dude. Talk about a phenomenal show. Now, Ren and Stimpy, not so much. I never got into them. Oh, I loved uh, Ren and Stimpy, dude. So Rocco's modern life. Did you watch the Netflix produced movie they put out last year? I didn't. I didn't. No. Yeah, it's you know, there's some good and there's bad in there, but it's worth watching if you're a Rocco fan. But I mean, that show was so bizarre and zany and really edgy, honestly. Like it was just it was perfect. Like it was it was such a great show. Well, you know, I think a lot of those, I mean, it's the same thing with like uh, with like Disney movies obviously but i mean uh, like most of those movies were and and tv shows and cartoons and stuff were produced by like the same people who were like like artists basically like kids who had went to art school or like animation school and like they were written by adults and so yeah there was a lot of like adult in jokes and stuff and like something that i think about too and this this brings it back to movies as well do you remember the the TV show uh, Animaniacs. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. That show had some real fucked up inside stuff going on. Right, right. Yakko, Wacko, and Dot. But see, like, th- what? Because I wasn't I, like I was allowed, I guess, to watch old movies when I was a kid. But like, I just never did because my my parents weren't into it, and none of my friends were into it. I just like I didn't have any like like you had your older brother. Like I didn't have any presence in my life that was like, hey, watch this John Wayne movie or whatever. You know, that just wasn't, I don't know, it just wasn't accessible to me. So a lot of the sort of tropes and attitudes around classic movies were communicated to me through TV shows like Animaniacs. You know what I mean? And spoofs and parodies. Like you talk about with The Simpsons. Like, I don't think I'd ever seen a film noir, but I knew what a film noir was and I knew what the genre conventions were because of watching those TV shows as a kid and people spoofing them, you know? Animaniacs had a phenomenal noir spoof. I remember that. It was great. Yeah, it, it was like like the voiceover, and she walked in, and she was a dame, a mile legs a mile high, or whatever. And like I'd never seen a film noir until I was probably like sixteen years old, but I knew all the tropes, and I knew I knew it as a cultural reference point solely because 
all of those cartoons were so, so like self-referential, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that, that's what happens when you have these creators that are just looking for a home and a way to, the way to kind of do what they'll be able to do. And Nickelodeon kind of allowed a lot of creators to do that. Like Pinky and the Brain's another one. Yes. Like there was some, there was some interesting, like more sophisticated animated shows when we were kids. Yeah. I mean, I guess more sophisticated. I don't know what they are now, man. Uh, you know, well, I me either. I, I'm not, when I say that, I don't mean what they're watching now isn't because I don't know anything about what kids are watching now. So, right. Uh, no offense to whatever people are watching now. I don't know. I, I, I just know I fucking hate SpongeBob SquarePants with a burning passion in my soul. You know, um, I never got into it. I, uh, I know a lot of people like younger than us, like our big, huge, like SpongeBob people and have as much like loyalty to that as we would Doug or whatever. But I just, yeah, I just, I, I think we were too old. Honestly, dude, looking back on it, I think I would have prefer, I think outside of the few shows we've already named, I preferred home improvement and family matters and step-by-step. Step. I preferred those live action family shows more than the cartoons nine times out of 10. Like, yeah, cause dude. we were allowed to watch those cause they were ABC, which is family entertainment. Right. Yeah. It was, uh, what did they call it? TGIF? Do you remember TGIF? Oh fuck. Yeah, dude. Which was, uh, for those, <laughs> for those youngins out there, TGIF was a, uh, a, a programming lineup, which I mean, Jesus, even like television programming is, a, is an, an ancient concept now, but on Friday nights they would have like four family sitcoms in a row that would come on and the lineups would change. It would be like family matters, step-by-step step, boy meets world and you know, whatever. And sometimes shows would go in and go out. But the point was it was TGIF. Thank God it's Friday. And it was kids who stayed home. Obviously they weren't going out on Friday night. Like their parents were, or like, you know, older, like teenagers were or whatever. And it was uh, it was a family programming night of nothing but sitcoms on uh, network TV. I don't know if it was on ABC or NBC or whatever, but yeah, TGIF, man, yeah. It was it was ABC and Home Improvement and Family Matters are both on Hulu. I have recently rewatched all of them, and wow, there are a ton of episodes. Yeah. <laughs> um, when when you don't have to keep a, a a main narrative, it's like so much easier to just do a show. Like, because you know their whole thing was like. Back then in the nineties, you want it, you want syndication. So you want people to be able to put on any episode at any time and watch it like a Seinfeld type. So right. as long as you could win in syndication, that's all that matters. So a lot of those shows were like, we don't give a fuck what happened last week. Right. Yeah. yeah it was exactly. just completely, yeah. Just kind of discontinuous. Yeah. And 26 episodes and go for as many seasons as you possibly can, you know? Yeah, so uh, let's get back on track with movies and get this going. We'll just basically go until it seems like it's been running a little long because I've got basically an endless list of movies. Uh, so oh, yeah, I, I just forgot. We're not even talking about movies. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we've been talking about TV, which is fine because that's, that's all nostalgia. I think everyone listening will probably know in some form or fashion what we were just talking about. So. Oh, yeah. Hey, let's start off with a couple of live action movies that I'm curious to see if you ever watch because – one of these was like my favorite movie when I was a kid and uh, it's fucking hilarious to this day. Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. See, dude, I didn't want, like I said, I didn't watch anything. I didn't watch anything old. The only thing I watched old was maybe the three stooges or some like Warner brothers, Looney Tunes stuff. 
But okay. Yeah. Yeah. That, that old stuff just wasn't accessible to me. I don't like, I, I think it was because just the people in my life, I was an only child and my parents just didn't watch that stuff. And so like, I, I don't know, I didn't have any framework for it, but what is, what, what, if, I mean, I, I can assume from the title, but, um, dude, it's, it's fucking, it's fucking great. Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, but then they also roll in Dracula and the Wolfman oh, and sure. like Lon Chaney's in it. Bella Lugosi's in it. This is like, this is the whole lineup. It is fucking great. I know some people don't like to watch Abbott and Costello, like, you know, slapstick has kind of gone the way of the dinosaur, but either way, this movie is fucking brilliant. I still watch it to this day. And uh, the other movie, now that, I, now that I've been reminded that you didn't watch older movies, is March of the Wooden Soldiers. It's a 1934 movie uh, starring Laurel and Hardy, Stan Laurel and Oliver Hardy. Fucking great movie. Also traumatizing because basically these evil trolls like attack a village and they, they're called like boogeymen or whatever. And Laurel and Hardy have to wake up the wooden soldiers to fight off like the trolls and the trolls are fucking terrifying because they have these weird costumes from the thirties that will give you nightmares. I do think it's on prime. So if anyone wants to watch it, you should, you know, I will say this. I've never in my life, uh, and I'm Googling as we speak. I've, I don't think I've ever in my life seen a Laurel and Hardy movie. Oh man, you should uh you should check them out sometime. There, I like Abbott and Costello more, but Laurel and Hardy are fucking great too. Yeah, I just don't. I just I, when I was a kid, I watched the, the Three Stooges. Laurel and Hardy just wasn't. And you know, something that always and I feel like this was it was market marketed to me this way as well. Like if I went over to a friend's house and they were like, "We've got Laurel and Hardy movies," that was always a mark of like a kid being uncool to me for whatever reason. You know what I mean? I'm sure it was like completely manufactured by the Disney corporation. But like if I went over to somebody's house and I'm like, we're watching Lauren Hardy, I'd be like, that's lame. Have you not heard of flubber with Robin Williams? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like well, I, I will, so, I will tell so you bias for that, you know? Yeah. I will tell you though. It's not like I was like very familiar with their complete filmography, I just, I I saw March of the Wooden Soldiers, but Abbott and Costello was more my jam because they did a lot of stuff. So the Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, that was a big one because they got to meet all of them, but they also had, they meet the mummy, they meet Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, they meet the Wolfman, all separate movies as well. So I was always a fan of that because it was also kind of edgy because you're watching this like scary movie when you're a kid and it's all kid friendly. But I am much more familiar with Abbott and Costello than I am with Laurel and Hardy. Now, I, I will say this about Abbott and Costello. Um, who's on first? If you watch it on YouTube, it's still hilarious. Like, I think oh, there's fuck yeah. like there is something so because you, you think about it like you think about, OK, well, the gag is like. You know, someone's on first. It's wordplay. Someone on first. Someone's on first base, and his name is Who's. But like the the comedic heights that they take it to, and the amount of frustration that they build between each other, and the fact that they cannot understand each other, and both and like they seem to be getting madder and madder at each other. It really is kind of like a masterclass in like uh, miscommunication or. You know what I mean? Like there, there is something cosmic about it that is so universal and so hilarious that uh, I would highly, 
highly recommend uh, any listener out there to go YouTube that Abbott and Costello. Who's on first? It's uh, I don't know, man. I, I think it's one of the I think it's one of the best things you can watch on YouTube or, or, or anywhere, really. OK, so let's move on to what you're familiar with and get it going. Uh, Toy Story. I feel like everybody knows Toy Story. Toy Story was the first movie I ever saw in theaters, man. Yeah, yeah. We just talked about that in our theater episode. Go listen to it if you have not. So, uh, yeah, I feel like both of us love Toy Story. I feel like it's universally loved. I mean, not really much of a mystery there. Here's one that I feel like gets forgotten about, but uh, A Bug's Life. I fucking love A Bug's Life. And yeah, like, I feel like it doesn't get talked about enough. Do you remember when Ants, because a- Ants came out at exactly the same time. Remember that? Yeah, it was like a DreamWorks. Like, what was it? Like, Woody Allen was the voice of the lead ant. Like, Stallone, I think, was a voice. Yeah, it was essentially a Woody Allen vehicle, and Woody Allen was the ant. Yeah. And it was just called Ants. And, they like, I remember that used to be a thing when we were kids, is that, like, these movies would compete for each other. And, like, I think the idea was... Um, and I could be wrong. I'm sure there's some marketing executive or whatever who would correct me, but I, I'm pretty sure the idea was that like your kids want to go see the bugs movie. And so maybe you'll accidentally go see ants instead of bugs life. You know what I mean? And that's, that's, that's enough to like make its money back because <laughs> your stupid kids don't know the difference between ants and a bug's life. You know what I mean? But I'll tell you, I'll tell you this, buddy, you know how you could tell the difference once you got in there. This was a huge scandal. When I was a kid, I don't know if you remember, huge scandal. Fucking ants had a swear word in it. Oh, did it? Yeah, dude. I can't remember what they said. I think it was damn. I can't remember the word. It was either damn or bastard. It was something. It was just some word that doesn't mean shit now. But when you were a kid, everything like hung on a swear word. And uh, I remember watching that and like, dude, I remember people being so pissed. Like you look at what kids watch these days. Compared to like ants, like, you know, in Endgame or Infinity War or whatever the fuck it was, he killed, you know, like a trillion people. No big deal. But in ants, somebody said a swear. So, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, that's all I remember about ants. I've seen it one time. I fucking hated it, but it was cool because I had a swear word in it. So, yeah, I don't yeah. I don't remember the swear word, but I do remember there was the the dichotomy between those two, you know. Yeah, it happens sometimes, man. It's really weird. I don't really know what the um I think your theory works. Okay, so let's get into some uh some old school Disney Robin Hood. Okay. Now, how did you how do you feel about Robin Hood with the foxes? Robin Hood, the main thing that I know is that women love that fucking Robin Hood, man. Hold on. Which one are you talking about? I'm talking about the fox, dude. The fox one? Are you serious? Yeah, dude. Like, like women love that fox from Robin Hood. It's like, a, I feel like it's like a meme or like a joke at this point that like, that's, that's every woman's like growing up, like crush. You know what I mean? Now I fell out of the loop because I didn't know that. I know he was a suave son of a bitch, but I didn't know he was like a crush up for anybody. Yeah, I think um, there's like a, I think there's like a, a a Mulaney bit on it or something. I don't know. I don't know. I'm assuming you were a big fan. Uh, uh, Robin Hood, absolutely. I'm gonna be honest. I don't. I mean, I know I watched the movie, but I I don't. You know, I don't remember it that well. It doesn't stick out a lot for me. I, I but I know I watched it a bunch when I was a kid. You know, made Marion. Yeah, dude. Uh, now I'm regretting this because I think you're going to hurt my soul by the end of this because I've got a few old school ones left that I really love. And I feel like you're going to say that about all of them. 
we're we're gonna power through this. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Maid Marion, but also her assistant, who was like the big hen, uh, was was fucking hilarious. And right. obviously, you had um, shit, man. What was his name? I gotta look it up because he belongs in a. He did a. He was live action. He was like a, a great voice actor. He was a great actor. I'm trying to. He did the voice for the king. I'm looking at his name up. Anyway, I'll look it up. Have you ever seen the uh, Blackbeard's Ghost? Uh, no. <laughs> okay, Blackbeard the Ghost is a really fucking funny movie from 1968. The guy that I'm talking about, his name is Peter Ustinov. And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know him. Yeah, he's a he's a great actor. He also does a lot of voice acting. He was in Spartacus, like he was in Logan's Run. like So he's been in a lot of stuff, but he was a voice actor for Disney, and he did the voice for the king in Robin Hood, and his voice is fucking perfect. Right. So then it and Blackbeard's ghost, he plays Blackbeard, which is about the ghost of Blackbeard coming back and only one guy can see him. And the ghost has to help this college win uh, like like a tournament. It was just a zany Disney plot, but it is fucking hilarious. I think I watched last time I watched it was like a year and a half ago. It is worth revisiting and it's worth watching if you've never seen it. It's fucking gold. Damn. Okay. So I also got Dean Jones. He's he's the lead next to Peter Ustinov. Yeah, I don't know anything about that movie. Yeah, these are just these are these are weird Disney deep tracks that I just watched when I was a kid, and I just happened to think of uh, Blackbeard's Ghost. So Jungle Book. Oh yeah, I watched Jungle Book a lot when I was a kid. Okay. Okay. So how do you feel about it? I mean, I loved it. You know, honestly, dude, it was kind of like Robin Hood. Like I know I watched it a lot when I was a kid. Was it one of my favorites? No, you know, I don't, I don't know. I, there was, there was something about, okay. There was something about when I could tell I'm, I, when I was a kid, I'm telling you, I was a really forward focused kid. And I think a lot of it had to do with like reading that Disney adventures magazine that I told you about. Like if to me, if something was older, that meant that it was bad or that it was, does lame. that go for cartoons as well? A little bit. And I do, I think it's a lot because of how we grew up because if we, the way that we grew up, you know, hyper, you know, Christian conservative or whatever, like they would be like, well, it's okay to watch old things because back in the old days, things were less explicit than they were now. And so like, I would go to a friend's house who was really like hyper conservative or whatever. And they'd be like, all right, so we got, uh, you know, Robin Hood or we got Jungle Book or whatever. But like, I don't, my parents won't let me watch the new Disney movies like Aladdin or whatever. And I'd be like, well, that's lame. So like, I feel like I had kind of like an inherited bias against some of the older stuff. Now there is one big exception that I'll point out if you don't mention it, but yeah, dude, I, I mean, I watch these movies a lot and I love them and I understand all the cultural references. I know all the music, but these things were always associated with kind of old fashionedness to me, you know, I don't know. Okay, well, let's see if we can go three for three on you uh, breaking my heart. Uh, the sword and the stone. Yeah, I, I, same, dude. God damn it. What is wrong with you? What is wrong with you, man? Like, this is insane. I'm tell- Dude, I'm telling you, you're, you're showing up at my house when I'm like seven years old with the sword and the stone. And I'm telling you, I'm looking at you and being like, pfft. To call me back when you've got Little Mermaid, bitch. You know what? You know what I would have done if I, if I could go back in time and do it? I'd hit you in the face with the, <laughs> with the case 
of Sword in the Stone, and then I'd make you watch it. Uh, that movie is brilliant. That is like in my that is one of my favorite movies growing up. Period. That movie is fucking gold, and it still holds up. I think it's on Netflix. Look, I know. I mean, it's definitely on Disney Plus. Oh yeah, that's true. Look, dude, I I liked all these movies when I was a kid. I'm telling you, they just weren't favorites to me because they weren't new. You know. Okay, let's just get into this new stuff. Aladdin, you've already mentioned it. Aladdin's fucking gold. Oh, I mean, Aladdin was iconic. I mean, it's absolutely yeah. iconic. Like you just you can't. I mean, I don't know. It was it was the fucking best thing on the planet for a kid in 1994, whenever it came out. Yeah, dude, Aladdin. There's just something about that movie. It's still relevant. It's still awesome. And I was telling you this off pod. I have the VHS copy of Aladdin in one of those cool cases we were talking about earlier. Right. And it's fucking awesome. That rules, And man. Uh, Yeah, dude, it is so cool. But Aladdin, to me, I remember watching that. Like, I have a vivid memory of watching that when it came out. And this was, like, right around the Disney Renaissance because you had Aladdin and Lion King within, like, two years of each other. Oh, yeah. And Little and, Mermaid. Uh, yeah, and Little Mermaid. And Lion King was another one that was, like, Fuck, that was all that was my first movie in theaters, but Lion King was fucking brilliant. Perfect mm-hmm. score, perfect characters, fun movie. It was just it was phenomenal. Yeah, it's um let me ask you this. Have you have you seen the documentary uh Waking Sleeping Beauty? I have not. Okay, well this is a hardcore recommend from me. It is a it's a documentary that came out in 2009. It's on Disney Plus or of course you can rent it from, you know, anywhere. But it is a documentary about the history of Walt Disney feature animation from 1984 to 1994. Uh, and it's covering the period that's often, often called the Disney Renaissance. Okay. And what it does is it documents how in 1984, the Disney studios was basically just, I mean, they weren't making these hit movies that they were, you know, this is, we're talking about, being 10 and 20 years removed from Robin hood and jungle book and, um, you know, Cinderella and all those sort of iconic, you know, old Disney classics. And in 1984, there was none of that was going on. And then, uh, 1989, the little mermaid began all that. And then you have the rescuers and then beauty and the beast and Aladdin and lion King, and even going up into Pocahontas, hunchback of Notre Dame, Hercules, Mulan and Tarzan. You know, these and even though even though a few of those movies I was, you know, had aged out of the demographic by the time they had come out, they were still very popular hits. And what the movie does, the movie shows how the group of animators and the group of artists that were working at Disney at the time basically single handedly brought about that renaissance. It's, it's if you're interested in filmmaking or movies or even Disney or Hollywood or anything like that. Um, I would highly, highly recommend this watch. It's a, like a 90 minute documentary and it's so cool because it, it shows how like the Disney corporation at that point had just completely almost shuttered the animation. They were just like, yeah, we don't make animated movies anymore. Like who gives a shit? But the little mermaid was the catalyst for all that. And was, I don't know. It's just inspiring to see these artists who were like, like, no, like we don't want to like, the reason we work at Disney is because we want to make the modern day version of Cinderella. We want to make these movies that were so influential to us as kids. And uh, they, they completely turned around, you know, the whole uh, feature animation unit and, and really defined a lot of our childhoods. It's a, it's a fascinating watch. You should watch it, man. I will definitely check it out. That's not, I love shit like that. 
And you actually named a few of them. And I understand uh, one of these came out in 98. So I was starting to age out of cartoons or whatever. I mean, I don't really think you ever age out of cartoons, but you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, Mulan, dude, I fucking love Mulan. I don't know your feelings on it. I I loved all these movies, man. I mean, all throughout the 90s. I mean, like literally, I mean, all of these, like... That they these were the classics to me. You know, the older stuff didn't really like. I like I, I mentioned that. Like I, you know, I just had some weird bias against it. But all this new shit, man. I'm telling you, I would read those Disney Adventures magazines. And I I couldn't wait till they would come out. And some of them I was allowed to see in theater. Maybe like from Pocahontas on after that. But before that, I had to wait for them to come out on VHS. And buddy, did I wait for him? You know, it was. I mean, it's hard to describe to someone today, like what a pop culture phenomenon these movies were. I mean, like, I feel like there's an entire year of my life that is dedicated to just going to Walmart and waiting for the Lion King to be released on VHS. You know, you know, I've got a couple other ones uh, that I just feel certain you're going to continue to infuriate me on um, <laughs> the rest. Uh, hopefully since these came out in the seventies and the nineties, maybe this will get a pass since they didn't come out in like the fifties. I don't know. Uh, the rescuers and the rescuers down under. Yeah, I like these movies. Well, see, the rescuers down under came out in um, 1990. Yeah, so right. In the, 1990, it was a new one. Right, it was a new one. So, so I, I was a little more kind to that one because in order to watch to understand that one, I had to watch the original rescuers. So I didn't, I didn't view the rescuers as being older. I, I they were in the rotation alongside, you know, Aladdin and you know, Beauty and the Beast and all that shit. No, th- those were in the rotation. I fucking love those movies. And then there's the movie that Dis- that almost bankrupted Disney. This movie has an interesting history. I won't bore anybody with it. If you're curious, look it up. The Black Cauldron. Yes. Dude, this movie is awesome. And this movie has a weird fucked up history. It's super dark. It almost didn't get made. And I'll tell you, it was too dark for a kid's movie because it scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. You know, I actually, I don't think I've ever seen this, but Dude, I know, it is worth watching. Yeah, I should definitely watch it now. I, but, but the reason I know about it is because that, that documentary, the waking sleeping beauty that I was telling you about, it, it begins with the black cauldron because oh, they were nice. like, okay. yeah, it begins with the black cauldron because they're basically like, Oh wow. So we just did this huge fucking failure. And, uh, all right, well, I guess let's shutter the whole animation department. Like, (laughs) so yeah, it begins with that, with that low point. And of course, you know, ends with the elevation of, you know, the nineties Disney Renaissance. Well, before I get to, to possibly my favorite Disney cartoon growing up and still holds up to this day, I'm hoping, I'm sure the documentary mentioned this. I'm curious what your thoughts are, but first let's go back a little bit. I know that you used to be a hardcore like Disney romantic. Like I know you used to go to Disney world a lot and all that. So I'm hoping these two movies kind of you're able to appreciate. And that's uh, old school snow white and sleeping beauty. I'll I'll say this. I, I, yeah, that was, (laughs) yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. That that was, that's a dark period in my life when I was kind (laughs) of like obsessed with Disney world at like, you know, 21 or whatever. Um, hey, you could have always been obsessed with heroin. I'll tell you which <laughs> one's worst. Um, yeah, uh, you know, the Sleeping Beauty is it, it's a weird sort of I, I, I and Snow White. I didn't watch them when I was a kid. 
those were, I don't know why, but I, maybe because they were princess movies or something. I watched Cinderella, but I didn't really watch Snow White or Sleeping Beauty. Those are movies that I came to appreciate as I got older. Like the artwork in Sleeping Beauty is incredible. And I think I still think Snow White is one of the most beautiful movies ever made, um, just visually well, speaking. Uh, but no, I'll tell when you I was this. a kid, I didn't watch them. I hate both of them. Do you uh, really? I hate them. Cinderella is far superior to either of them, but I'll tell you what's better than all three of them. And that's uh beauty and the beast. Like, yeah. Beauty and I the beast know, might man. be the peak of the Disney princess movies. It is dude. That was like, that was a great movie. I just, there's something about, there's something about sleeping beauty and snow. Why I just couldn't get into like, I, I just, I don't know. There's something about them. I, I, I appreciate, I didn't watch them when I was a kid, but I, I do appreciate the artwork now. I think the artwork in Sleeping Beauty is really interesting. It's really kind of medieval in, in a really interesting way. And Snow White, I think, is beautiful, man. I, I actually watched that. That was one of the first things I watched whenever I uh, Disney Plus first came out. And, and watching it on you know 4K or you know whatever the new technology is, it's, it's, it's really quite stunning. Well, but yeah, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't watch it when I was a kid, but you haven't mentioned, you haven't mentioned one of my favorites, dude, which is 101 well, I, Dalmatians. Oh man. I was so hoping that one of your favorites would end up being this one. And it's not. What one? What one? Uh, well, let's talk about 101 Dalmatians first. I love 101 Dalmatians. That, that story, uh, the villain, like it's, it's fucking great. I love them. I hate the live action, but I love the cartoon. Dude, I just love all those fucking dogs, man. I, I, I could not. I mean, to this day, I love that movie. But also, like, when I was a kid, I fucking loved it. I, it didn't, for whatever reason, it didn't code as old to me. And I don't know. I just, I love the looseness of the animated style. And I love the, uh, I, I, oh, I just love the animation style in general. I mean, 101 Dalmatians is, is God-tier Disney animation to me. I, I, I love it. So, outside of the Black Cauldron... Some people consider this one of Disney's creepiest cartoons. I'm sure it was talked about in the uh, documentary you watched. I actually just read an article that someone wrote about it earlier this month that uh, called it the unsung Kickstarter of the Disney Renaissance. Oh, shit. And uh, it is perfect. It has the great Vincent Price as a voice for the villain. Oh, I know where you're going with this. It is the great mouse detective. Right. This movie is flawless. I love it so much. I have seen it so many times. What's crazy is it's not even feature length. Right. It's like it's it's like right under 80 minutes. But uh this movie came out in 1986, so a year after The Black Cauldron. And uh I don't know how you feel about it, but I fucking love it. You know, honestly, I don't remember watching it when I was a kid. To be honest, I just I, I are you, are I, you kidding me? You watch no. you watch a hundred and one Dalmatians, but you don't watch this. I don't know, man. It just it just escaped me when I was a kid. I don't know why, but I do I do know that it was like it is in that documentary because it was almost like the animators were really proud of it, even though they they couldn't get because the reason it's not feature length is because it's of like budgetary constraints. And like the animators were really proud of that movie because they were like, like, look, see what we can do. Like we were, we were squeezed beyond all recognition by the studio and like, we can still produce good work, you know? So they were really proud of it, but yeah, I, I just didn't watch it when I was a kid, man. I don't know. I don't know. I'm rethinking this entire episode. <laughs> um, so, uh, Let's do a non-cartoon one. 
I feel like this is one that 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 everyone should fucking love. I think as kids, Sandlot. How do you feel about Sandlot? <laughs> Are you kidding me right now? I don't think I've ever seen the Sandlot, dude. <sighs> um, <laughs> wow, we're really uh, we're really moving along. I've already got. I was like, I was like, man, I'm sure that there'll be enough conversation to hold off on mentioning the the creme de la creme of children's shit. Until the uh, until the end, but I guess here we are. Um, are we already at the end? <laughs> uh, there, there's a couple more, but let's just get this out of the way. This is arguably not just the greatest cartoon, but greatest live action movies. If you ignore the third one, they are universally relatable. They are perfect. They are fun. Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, hell yeah, dude. So cool thing. I've got a box set Blu-ray of the live action ones and it is a pizza box that you open up and each disc has like different slices of pizza on it. Dude. Holy shit. That's incredible. Yeah. It's pretty fucking sweet. You really don't get like outside of Disney shit. You really don't get much more fun than the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles when when like people our age were kids. I was just going to say, these movies were so iconic when we were kids. And I, I read somebody else write this. I don't remember where, but this is, not my, uh, this is not my original thought. But I think it is true, is that I think that the... Do you remember the opening scene? I don't know if it's the first one or the second one that opens with the slice of pizza. Oh, yeah. Being passed around. Yeah, there's like a slice of pizza being like passed around and and like yeah, I don't I don't know. And 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 I I remember that opening scene and the fact that it takes place in New York City being like there's an image of New York City that is it's almost like an advertisement. It's like a tourist advertisement for New York City. And I just remember like I think maybe that was the beginning of sort of like a lot of our people our age is like mythic understanding of New York city where like times square and everybody's eating pizza and, you know, you get a little bit older and you start to see more romantic comedies be set in New York city. And it, I, I really truly think that the, the opening salvo, the, the Genesis point for I- anybody who was obsessed with New York city throughout the nineties or early two thousands, people around our age, I think it began with that first teenage mutant Ninja turtles movie because it's such an iconic New York movie. And there's so much of the movie's plot that depends on like, I don't know, being like part of New York city. I don't know. Did, did you feel that way at the time or, or maybe it was just me? Uh, you know, my love affair with New York city in terms of like how it's romanticized in the movies. I don't remember when it technically started. Uh, the only thing this started the love affair with was trying to go in manholes uh, that's really all it was everywhere we would go. I would, I would talk to the sewer. Now at the time uh-huh. I wasn't from, I wasn't familiar with it because I was a child. If I right. could do it all over again and was familiar with it, I would have stayed the fuck away from sewers. Um, <laughs> but you know, you can't lift them without a special tool cause they're so heavy. So essentially I would be like this, this kid parking lot. And I'll just say, I could have come off as special. Uh, like talking into the, uh, talking into the, uh, sewer lid. So, uh, yeah, that's what this movie did for me. So just so we're clear, I, uh, y- y- you know, 
<laughs> the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, you know, spurred on my love for New York City and kind of made me romanticize it and obsess about it. And eventually I got to live there and I got to go to school there and I get to teach there and work there now and blah, blah, blah. And uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for you inspired you to go to a parking lot and uh, almost uh, fall down a manhole and become like a local news story. Okay, hold on. Not true. Some of it is. I didn't almost put on a manhole. I was talking into the manhole covers, but I got to, in a way, live out my dreams, similar to how you get to live in New York. I took a pair of bolt cutters and cut a chain to a giant to a drain tube and got to go into a tunnel system under the uh, under like where the sewers are. So that was cool. Hey, you know, as as long as as long as we're living our dreams. You know, exactly. So my dream was walking around a dark tunnel. Uh, At this point, I was obviously older, so I was not looking for Ninja Turtles. But the point is, I got to go there. Um, Well, and I'm I mean, you know, in a way I'm living in, uh, you know, I've I wanted so bad to to live to this beautiful, romanticized New York City. And in a way, I'm living in sort of a a, a sewer full of uh, filth and coronavirus. So, you know, that's very true. It all <laughs> it all works out in its own way. Mo- good, the good mo- with the, the monkey's paw. Yeah, the monkey's paw curls another finger. I will tell you this: there's a really funny review on IMDb, and the subject line for Ninja Turtles is "the best movie ever made on the subject of radioactive turtles." <laughs> and the first line is, "I dare anyone to hate this movie." It's a great and, movie, and it's kind of it's kind of right, man. That's just one of those movies. The suits were great. I think the first one came out in 1990. Once again, you know, I was a kid obsessed with the toys. I was obsessed with the cartoon. I think the cartoon started running in the late 80s, and I think it ran all the way through the mid-90s. And uh, it's fun characters. They, honestly, as a child, they taught you, like it really did teach you stuff about life, about friendship and family, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, when, when, I, when I found out there was a movie, because when the movie came out, I was four, so obviously I didn't watch it. Uh, but I found out maybe mid nineties that I found out there was a movie and I was like, fuck yeah, I got to watch it. Uh, once again, since, uh, I was kind of raised in a strict household watching this where Raphael says, damn, uh, I was like, oh shit. Uh, he says, he says, damn, because he lost one of his knives. I forgot what they're called. Size, uh, dude. How could you forget yeah, that? Size. I can't remember. Well, Raphael is my least favorite character. Uh, okay. Let's rank He's, it. he's let's a rank real it. douche. Well, dude, there's there's not really a lot of ranking. Like everyone knows, Michelangelo's the best. Is he? Uh, who is your favorite Ninja Turtle? <laughs> I was a Leonardo guy, man. Okay, you know what? There should I'm sure somewhere there's a personality test around who your favorite turtle is and what it represents. Um, so Leonardo was the group leader who right. who like who disguised his own self interest and crave of power. Uh, by saying he's concerned about his brothers, all he wanted to do was please himself and 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 impress Splinter. And then you've got Donatello, who's kind of the harmless nerd, but is he? And then you've got Raphael, who's an asshole. And then you've got Michelangelo, who is the goofy, fun-loving, harmless one. Did I frame that to make my favorite look the best? No. Um, <laughs> But I mean, uh, my yeah. favorite. I mean, my favorite was definitely you know Leonardo because of uh, you know his bold leadership skills. 
You know, that was Jesus. Uh, no, dude. Like when I was younger, the I was picking based on the color of the mask that they wore and the weapons that they used. I wasn't thinking about their fucking personality or whatever. I liked the color blue, and I liked the fact that Leonardo had swords. I wasn't mess. I wasn't fucking around with Raphael and his size. I didn't even like his name. Michelangelo was cool, obviously, but he wears orange. No, thank you. And he had nunchucks. Adios. Donatello, I like purple. I like the stick, but you know what can cut a stick in half? Leonardo's motherfucking sword. Give me Leonardo all day. Okay, just real quick. I can tell you, I thought about all this when I was a youngster. Do you know how I was able to justify Michelangelo despite the fact that he has the dumbest fucking weapons? I told myself that if I was Michelangelo, I could just learn how to use the swords. So I'm not I'm not chained to one weapon. All right, I don't I mean... I don't know if you like to, I don't know if you were like underdeveloped as a child or like, <laughs> well, I was screaming into the void of uh, sewers. <laughs> so I would say, uh, I was a far cry from a savant. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Um, either way, which one do you like more? The first or the second one? Cause we're not even going to address the third one. I don't even differentiate between the two, man. Like, I don't even think I did. I, I literally think that I, like, m- when I had them, it was in, like, it wasn't in the big VHS cases, like the Disney movies. It was in the, you know, the, the more normal, thin VHS cases. And I think. Oh, I, I don't even think these were Disney. Were they Disney? No, they weren't. But I mean, like, it was, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know why I differentiated that. But yeah, they were in just normal VHS cases. But, um, we bought. I think I bought them together, or my parents bought them together, or something. I, I literally just always associated them, not as the same movie, but as just going to like. If I watched one, I watched the next one, like right after that. You know what I mean? This is like this is like a uh, one of those things. It's like a uh, like when when you're doing like a podcast, like we are or something, and you're slowly finding out how different you are from the other person. And like <laughs> if you put it on a graph, it could be like, oh, this is when you started growing apart. this episode might end up being a turning point for the uh for the silver screen video Um, but no seriously i i know i think it's cool i think it's interesting to know that uh that you did watch like you were when i was watching older disney movies not because i wasn't allowed to watch the newer ones but like that's just what i watched and then i watched the newer ones when they came out i think it's interesting to know that you didn't watch the older ones i did not know that so, yeah, no, I, I, no, I watched the older ones. I just, I like, I had a, a bias against them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, I that's could what just, I meant. yeah, like they, they just, I don't know. They just weren't the new ones. And so I didn't care as much. No, I, dude, I'm going to be honest. I literally like, that's not me. Like I, I didn't, I don't think I liked Ninja Turtles as much as you did. And honestly, dude, I don't even think I watched the cartoon that much. I think I was mainly devoted to, uh, well, no, that's not true. I watched the cartoon quite a bit. Saturday mornings. When you said having a turtle mask, I actually had a um, a entire <laughs> I had an entire hoodie, uh, but it was also a sweatsuit. It was I had the pants too, and they were completely green, but the stomach looked like a turtle stomach, and on the back it had um, it had like their weapons, and you could put the hood over your when you put the hood up on the hoodie. There was a little um, it, the, it was like the mask that the turtles were wearing. So basically, Oh fuck. Yeah, that's cool. 
Yeah, basically it was a hoodie that made you look like a Ninja Turtle. And I had Raphael, and it wasn't because he was my favorite. I think it was probably just because it was like the only one left, you know, or like the cheapest <laughs> one or whatever. But yeah, did I used to wear that shit and run around and, you know, I mean, I didn't talk into manholes like, you know, like some sort of a feral child. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, if they would have answered, joke would be on everybody. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, <laughs> if they didn't, and the joke's on you, buddy. <laughs> it's like, I'm surprised there wasn't ever a point where some hobo was like, I'm Michelangelo, give me some pizza. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, but uh, uh yeah, like dude, the, like the fucking feral kid from Mad Max too, just popping in and out of holes, and yeah, dude. No, man, Ninja Turtles—they really were like they—they they were a staple of of my childhood, and I still love them. I still love the obviously don't watch the cartoon, but I I still love the movies, and uh, and yeah, when that when that Blu-ray pizza box came out, that was a special edition they released like maybe ten years ago. I was like, fuck yeah, I have to own this. So. Yeah, honestly, there's only one Disney movie I didn't mention. I think you kind of did. I'm I'm a big fan of this. I feel like it's a it's an overlooked, often overlooked Disney movie, and that's Hercules. I thought that one was fucking great. You've got uh, James Woods as the voice of of Hades, and then you've got like uh, I think Bobcat Goldthwait and somebody else does a voice for the demons. They're fuck. It's fucking great. It's hilarious. It's fun. I love Greek mythology shit. So. Uh, it's a really fun movie and I, I don't feel like it gets nearly as much love as it should because I thought, I think it's one of Disney's better movies. You know, I'm going to be honest, man. I, I feel like I had just moved on to other things. I, I hadn't necessarily grown out of it because like, I'm sure the stuff that I was watching was also like kid shit, but like, I just, I don't know, man, there was a certain time period. I feel like after Pocahontas was maybe whenever I started kind of tuning out. I mean, I know I saw those movies, like I saw Mulan, I saw Hunchback and, you know, whatever, whatever. But like, I don't know. I feel like after Pocahontas, for some reason, I just, I, I was on to different things for whatever reason. See, I fucking hated Pocahontas. I hated that movie. Um, I mean, I don't remember liking it. I mean, you know, I say after Pocahontas, it might have been after Lion King, you know, uh, like everything after Lion King, you know, might have just, I, I was like, oh, I like it. But like, you know, nothing can compare to Nothing can compare to the original foursome of Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, and Lion King. Those are the four, you know. I agree with that. Um, I just, like, uh, Hercules came out when I was 11. And right. uh, and I just, I loved it. It, it was, it was, uh, it was kind of on the scarier side. You've got fucking monsters and getting heads chopped off and like Hercules was always a cool story. I was into the Hercules show, Kevin Zorbo show. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. 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 So it's like, it was just one of those things, but I agree with you. I think, I think little mermaids fucking great. Uh, but I, I honestly, I guess, you know, if I had to name my favorite Disney movie of all time, if we want to talk about childhood cartoons, I'd be hard pressed not to go with Lion King for many reasons. Yeah. I know a lot of people feel that way, especially like our age. But I don't know which one my favorite was, man. I don't, see, it's so interesting when you think of childhood content, like, and of course, you know, you're not even thinking about it as, as content at the time. I mean, my favorite was probably Toy Story, but like, I, I don't know. I didn't even, I feel like I didn't even differentiate the movies. Like, obviously I knew there were different movies, but I was just like, yeah, those are the Disney movies. You know what I mean? Like, those are the ones like that I rewatch all the time. And like, I, like, I don't know if I really even had a favorite. You know what I mean? Sounds to me like you were the underdeveloped child, sir. 
And uh, don't try, don't try to spin this around on me, Mister Manhole Boy. Um, no, I, I yeah, I um, I don't know, man. I guess I was like more, I don't know, I guess more OCD kind of about that shit because like it was very specific. Like I went through phases. I went through a phase where I would only watch Robin Hood every day for like a year straight. Right. And I would only watch Jungle Book. Then I would only watch Sword in the Stone. So yeah, I don't know, man. I, uh, Lion King, if you remove the nostalgia, like, cause it was the first movie I saw in theaters and all that, I would probably go with like jungle book, Robin hood or great mouse detective. One of those. But I mean, there's so much weight with the Lion King being the first movie I saw in theaters and like, sure. and all that shit. So, and obviously toy story for you. Cause you saw that first in theaters. Yeah, nothing. Yeah, Toy Story is the. I mean, it is like if I had to pick one one movie that influenced me the most or that I loved the most, it was. I mean, it was Toy Story, just hands down. You know, I feel like nothing could even compare to that, especially because you know I was always, like I said, always attracted to the new, and there was nothing newer than Toy Story. Nobody had ever seen anything like that before. You know, it was the first computer animated feature length movie, and. Oh, so yeah. you were just a kid that was like, oh, new, bright and shiny. Give me, give me. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, like a normal, like a normal <laughs> kid. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever, man. But OK, I want to mention a couple of things. One of Shoot. them, one of them is I looked up this, uh, this pizza box uh, Blu-ray set. It looks incredible. Um, and I love how the Blu-rays is it. I'm assuming you have the same one I'm looking at. Are the Blu-rays pizzas? Yeah, and like there's slices gone off of some of them. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so A, that's incredible. Uh, I just want to point that out. That's great. Uh, B, uh, they really missed an opportunity to make at least one of those Blu-rays manhole covers. I think that would have been uh, really I fun. agree. No, I agree 100%. Um, I do want to mention two more things, though. Fievel goes west. Dude, I cannot believe I forgot about that. Hell yeah. I I actually now Fievel Goes West is a sequel to the original An American Tale, and the An American Tale is a 1986 animated movie. Uh, about, <laughs> Jesus, I'm reading uh, about this. From, I'm reading the description of Wikipedia, and I can't believe this was a like kids movie at the time because it's just hilarious. But Fievel Moskowitz, uh, he. <laughs> He was a Jewish Ukrainian mouse who was immigrating uh, in like a turn of the century, like Ellis Island environment. Now, I don't know if I ever even fucking saw that movie because when I was younger, I was obsessed with the sequel, which is where the Jewish immigrant to New York goes out West and essentially becomes a cowboy. Yeah, dude. So we talked about this. We talked about this a couple of months ago. And oh, did we? I told you, yeah, I told you about the uh, the first one. And you had said you're not sure if you've seen it or not. But we talked about Five O Goes West, which is fucking great. But it doesn't make any sense as a sequel. Like dude, just reading the description of this is insane. <laughs> the the weirdest thing about Five O Goes West is if I'm not mistaken, it was Jimmy Stewart's last role before he died. And he plays like the old sheriff dog. And uh, I believe Don DeLuise, uh, he did the voice for the cat, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Um, it's a great fucking movie. And it still holds up. It is fucking hilarious. John like, Cleese and John Lovitz are both in it, too. 
Yeah, John Cleese as the fucking uh, villain cat. That's incredible. Yeah, dude. Yeah, that that is that is another one that is uh it's a weird thing. It's like Disney was like, hi, hey, let's make a movie like that's like, you know, we don't want to have like a mouse hiding from Nazi rats. So let's have like a mouse like migrating to New York and he's Jewish and he's trying to find his way because we don't want it to be like the fucking hiding place. Uh, we want to change it up a bit. And Frank, a mouse's tail. Yeah, dude. I remember watching The Hiding Place when I was a kid and I was like, what the fuck? This, yeah, yeah. This is, this is frightening. I think that was a big Christian thing. I think it was like maybe produced by like a Christian film studios or something because I remember I watched it too. Yeah, um, you you always know if it's like a if like if it's like a like a hardcore like Christian thing when you're kids because it traumatizes you. Um, <laughs> so sure. Now I will say, you said that this was Disney. This is not Disney. Uh, this is by Amblimation, which was a subset of the animation unit for Amblin, which is Steven Spielberg's production company uh, that I think still exists, but was definitely a lot more. Um, a lot more prolific in the eighties and early nineties. Um, and the amblimation de- like studio, uh, was literally a company that existed to keep the animators from who framed Roger Rabbit, uh, let them still have a job. So literally <laughs> five will goes West, not the original, but the sequel five will goes West was essentially a busy work project because Steven Spielberg just didn't want to lay off like an entire slew of animators. <laughs> so this was you know, just something that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Cause as much as we like it, it fits, <laughs> it fits that narrative. Right. And there's only three movies. They only made three movies. All right. You ready for them? Shoot. An American tale, Five All Goes West, uh, something called We're Back, a dinosaur story. Oh, you ever seen they that? made We're Back? Yeah, I don't know that movie. Dude, We're Back is fucking awesome. It is about this like this machine that makes dreams, and then it ends up like I think at some point it turns into a nightmare and the di- and dinosaurs come back and and like the dinosaurs are nice with voices. I think John Goodman did a voice. Yeah, one of them. John Goodman, Jay Leno, Walter Cronkite, Julia Childs, Martin Short. And the third one, the third feature-length animation, again, this is all just busy work, so Steven Spielberg didn't have to lay all these animators off, which, you know, hey, props to him, was Balto, which I think we've talked about Balto before. We have, and I've never seen it. God, dude, Balto is so fucking... Folks, watch Balto. That's another childhood movie that really... Really did it for me, man. Balto was incredible. Yeah. While you were watching Balto, I was watching the other 10 movies that I brought up, but you had no idea what they were. So there's that. <laughs> what a great idea for a pod where we each independently talk about our <laughs> talk about our favorite childhood movie. It's like, this movie shaped who I am. Oh, great. I haven't seen it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I watched a lot was this one. Oh, cool. I haven't seen that one. <laughs> So, hey, I'm sure the listeners, uh, I'm sure you guys got some value out of it. So, Folks, just just remember, this is free entertainment. <laughs> yeah, it's quarantine. You um, didn't pay a dime for it. Okay, wait, wait, hold on. I want to mention one last movie. All Dogs Go to Heaven. Gold. Not there the sequel. Not the sequel, but the fucking first one. It is brutal and heartbreaking and awesome. See, dude, see, we ended it on a great, on a great, uh, on a great note. A movie that we both absolutely loved. All Dogs Go to Heaven 2, I was particularly upsetting because I had looked forward to that movie. And then when it came out, I was so disappointed. 
Dude, me too. I agree. But the first one, you've got Burt Reynolds and you've got Dom DeLuise. And Dom DeLuise's voice is itchy. And then you've got Charlie B. Barkin yep. as, as Burt Reynolds' character. And Charlie was like the coolest dude ever. So I, I just want to say that his name was Charlie B. Barkin and Dom DeLuise's character was Itchy Itchiford. So it's almost <laughs> like they were like, well, we got to give him a last name. Okay, well, let's just make it a pun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also, that's barely a pun, you know, like. That's true. That's true. But um, yeah, dude, that's and that's another great example of like the first time I ever saw or like was familiar with the tropes of like the prison break was in this movie. You know, oh yeah, like like okay, like that I, that was that's a good one, man. That's a good place to end. Yeah, hell yeah, dude. A movie that we both uh, we both liked. Yeah, so we finally found one, dude. Yep. See, there we go. Though there was a few, though. I just think there were some that you weren't as familiar with. But I would say, for the most part, you had seen all the ones we talked about. So. I mean, honestly, dude, I feel like that's the case with a lot of like you know, nineties kids is like, we're all familiar with the same things, but like each individual, the the individual things that impact us the most are different, you know, but like, we've all seen the same shit. Yeah, absolutely. All dolls go to heaven is free on IMDB TV. Uh, so you can watch it. Yeah. IMDB launched their own streaming service. I've actually watched two movies on there. All you have to do is tolerate a couple of commercials. Damn. Okay. So Yeah. So uh, before we wrap up, I know both of us have a couple of recommendations and you said you had something to cover. You wanted to cover real quick. Yes. So um, this is a little bit of a little bit of a down note, but it's actually a um, it's actually really not that bad of a of a situation. There is a woman who has passed away recently uh, due to complications of pneumonia brought on by the coronavirus. She was 86 years old. So it's not that sad of a story. She lived a nice long life and her name is Patricia Bosworth. Um, and I just kind of want to mention her and kind of uh, go over some little details of her life. Maybe do a little brief obit segment. This will take about five minutes. She was a model. She was an actress. She was a journalist, a magazine editor. And the thing she was most famous for was writing biographies of Hollywood legends. She was primarily a writer. Um, and uh, she actually grew up uh, in California and in San Francisco. And she, her father was a entertainment lawyer. That's how she knew these people. He was a lawyer. And he was actually a, one of the six lawyers who defended the Hollywood 10, uh, who were defending themselves against discrimination for, you know, having previously been members of the Communist Party and, and things like that. You know, this was back in the the post-war Red Scare era. And uh, her first biography was uh, a biography about Montgomery Clift. And um, reading here, it says that she met him. He was lounging in her family living room because her you know, father was representing him in court. And she kept one of his cigarette butts for the rest of her life. Uh, and she wrote uh, a biography about him in 1997 called Anything Your Little Heart Desires. Um, which is um, really a great book. Um, but anyway, she, um, she went to Sarah Lawrence College, and which is not too far away from where I am right now. Um, and she was a model when she was younger. And she worked with an American fashion photographer named Alan Arbus, who some of you might recognize that last name. Uh, his wife was the famous uh, photographer, Diane Arbus. 
um, who uh, Patricia Bosworth actually wrote a biography about as well. Um, and Diane Arbus was, a, uh, again, a famous photographer and, um, yeah, quite renowned. Um, <clears throat> so she graduated from Sarah Lawrence College in 1955, and she auditioned for Lee Strasberg um, in the actor's studio in 1955. Now, Lee Strasberg, I'm sure, John, you know all about this, um, the actor studio. This is where uh, method acting was born. Uh, Lee Strasberg, what, what's his most famous role, would you say? Uh, probably in uh, in Godfather 2, right? He plays Hyman Roth. Um, yeah, I would, I would say that. But I mean, for anybody interested in learning about the birth of method acting and stuff, like there's some cool shit out there to like kind of learn. Cause like that, that was something that was, it was something that kind of developed. Like it wasn't something that just happened. So the entire sure. idea of method acting is a, it's a very cool subject. Sure. Right. Um, well, yeah, but well, she was able to study with, uh, she studied alongside Paul Newman, Marilyn Monroe, Steve McQueen, and Jane Fonda, who she also wrote a biography about later. But I mean, many people studied at the actor's studio, you know, in mid-century. I mean, James Dean, you know, Marlon Brando, Montgomery Cliff, De Niro, Al Pacino. I mean, you know, just a who's who. So she studied there for a while and was an actress. And she was cast in her first play by Arthur Penn, the famous director who was the director of Bonnie and Clyde. Uh, but her first movie was uh, in Audrey Hepburn. Uh, a movie with Audrey Hepburn called The Nun Story, which came out in 1915. I've never seen that, but uh, she was actually in that. Um, now, this time that she was in the actor's studio and where she was an actress, um, she wrote a memoir of that called The Men in My Life, Love and Art in 1950s Manhattan, which I would say is probably uh, one of her most interesting books. Uh, and so I'm just going to read uh, the rest of this here. Uh, let's see. This is from uh, Vanity Fair uh, Remembrance by Mark Razzo. And she was a contributing editor for Vanity Fair for years. He says that, quote, she wrote breezily with a gossamer touch, as if an intimate friend were telling you the latest over a coffee or a martini. Her biographies were relatively bantam size in a genre that prizes the doorstop but they punched way above their weight class in terms of authority and staying power. They had gems of lucidity and insight and class. And it says here that uh, the Montgomery Cliff biography is um, often viewed as the best actor biography ever written. Uh, she wrote a brief biography of Marlon Brando that is, quote, a necessary corrective to all the balderdash that's out here out there about him, written by people who know nothing about acting. And then uh, this final quote kind of sums it up. Bos Patricia Bosworth knows about acting, which I thought was such a such an interesting way to kind of end this obituary. This woman who had, frankly, a, a really interesting life and tried her hand at acting and was a model. And uh, instead, she ended up being a writer and kind of applying her understanding of show business and her understanding of the craft of acting to uh, writing the biographies of some of these famous people. And she also wrote uh, a book about her father as well. Just to finish uh, off. Okay, yeah, so here's a list of the books that she wrote. Uh, she wrote a biography of Montgomery Clift in 1978. Uh, she wrote a biography about Diane Arbus in 1984. And she wrote a, a biography about her father, the entertainment lawyer, uh, called Anything Your Little Heart Desires. 
she wrote one about Marlon Brando in 2001. She wrote one about Jane Fonda from 2011. She wrote one about John Wayne in 2012. And then, of course, she wrote a memoir of her time in 1950s Manhattan in 2017. So I always find this interesting, these kind of show business adjacent people, you know, who maybe don't fit neatly into, you know, writers, actors, directors, and she wasn't involved in the movie business at all. But because of her, we have a lot of information and we have uh, a model for how to how to write about acting, how to understand what acting is and how to understand this time period in history. And I don't know, a great woman, uh, someone who I'm just seeing this now. She was actually a colleague of mine. She was a uh, professor at the School of Journalism at Columbia, as well as at Barnard College, which is to be frank, kind of astonishing. Uh, and she died fucking here. awesome. Yeah, and she died here in New York City on April 2nd. Uh, she was 86 years old. So yeah, that's, um, I don't know, maybe that was a little too depressing, but also, I don't know, kind of uplifting. She lived a long life, and she had a, uh, I don't know, she, she really, I feel like she really contributed to the culture uh, around movies and cinema and just American culture in general. So yeah, Patricia Bosworth, check her out. It was a little, it was a little bit of a gear shift, but uh... (laughs) yeah, a little bit of a gear shift, but I don't know. It's, uh, you know, with, with all this death and stuff happening, I think it's, uh, I think, I don't know. I think it's kind of not important necessarily, but it's kind of nice to reflect on uh, the lives that some of these people had, especially, you know, these, these pretty good lives and people who were, uh, were able to produce, um, things and kind of just add to, uh, you know, add to the human culture a little bit. So, uh, so no, yeah, I think, I'll, I think it's really cool. And yeah, I'm glad you said something because yeah, you're right. I mean, they don't really, she doesn't really fit neatly into any type of category with actors or directors and stuff, but it is like, it was an important job, uh, allowing us to know more about these artists that so much of us, uh, enjoy and, and want to know about. So sure. And especially not writing about them from kind of a lurid perspective, you know, yeah, for, making them more humanized. Yeah, I'm kind of excited to read the John Wayne one now that you've said that. So, yeah, and they're brief. You know, they're not um, they're they're not these big doorstop novels of like politicians or whatever. And she was a she was a really observant, good writer. So so yeah, R.I.P. Uh, Patricia, and uh, you know, your uh, your your insight will be missed. I think we could say for all for all, for movie fans uh, who maybe don't even know who she is. So, yeah. Okay. All right. So you want to move on to the uh, film recommendation uh, portion of the pod? Yeah. Yeah. Let's uh, let's each do our recommendation and we'll wrap it up. What's yours? Uh, I don't know. I've been talking, man. Go for it. Let's do yours. Oh, mine's mine's on Amazon Prime. It is a Robert Mitchum special. It is Night of the Hunter. Uh, If you have not seen it, you should watch it. I think it was made in 1955, if I remember correctly. Anyway, he just plays this preacher and uh, some bad shit happens. I don't really want to give too much away. It is worth watching. It is free. You are quarantined. I mean, it's free if you have Amazon prime and that pretty much describes like 90% of the country, I think. So yeah, it's on Amazon prime night of the hunter. Watch it. You won't regret it. It is, uh, it's creepy. It's unsettling. And it's, uh, it's one of his best roles. So, yeah, I I would say night of the hunter is, um, and I was trying to look it up, but I can't, uh, I don't know. I can't find it now, but 
the French film magazine, Cahier du Cinema, a few years ago, or maybe it was in the late 90s, I don't know when it was, they did a a poll of all their contributors of a list of what they think are the 100 most beautiful movies of all time. And Night of the Hunter was actually number one, which I always find interesting. And it is. It's one of the most beautiful, most incredible, uh, creepiest. Uh, It's one of the best movies out there, man. You know, I I can't uh, second that recommendation highly enough. Yeah. Okay. So mine is, it's on the Criterion channel. There is a movie called The Passenger from 1975 with Jack Nicholson. And it's, uh, do you know this movie? Yeah, I've never seen it. My brother was a big Jack Nicholson fan and uh, I've heard of it, but yeah, I've never watched it. It's pretty great, to be honest with you. It's, uh, it's, I, I, it's directed by uh, Michelangelo Antonioni who was an Italian director who directed a trilogy of movies in the sixties that were kind of uh, really famous for being European art house classics. They were uh, beautiful people wandering around Rome and, and, and different, different portions of Italy while being, well, just looking sad about things. And I like those movies quite a bit. And so I had wanted to watch more of his work. And so he actually did a contract to make three English language movies. Uh, one of them called Zabriskie Point, one of them called Blowout, which is a classic, but I'm not a particular fan of. Uh, and the third one was this one, uh, The Passenger with Jack Nicholson. He plays a war correspondent and it's kind of a it's kind of a war time or like an international thriller in a way, but it's also like this very existential star vehicle with all these like slow, like slow, long takes. And uh, um, I don't know, he, he's a war correspondent and he basically steals someone else's identity. It's uh, I don't know. It's a wild movie, but I just watched it this morning. It is, uh, I cannot recommend it highly enough. And it's interesting because, uh, there's a certain time when MGM, they owed Jack Nicholson a favor or something. And so they gave him, he wanted the rights to this movie. And so for years, uh, it was out of circulation because he, I guess, didn't want people to see it. I don't know why, but, and then eventually Sony made him an offer, uh, that he couldn't refuse, I guess. And so he approved and they restored this movie in, uh, 2005 and it's, uh, I don't know. It's it's a really, really fucking great movie. I hope Criterion does a full a DVD release of it. But as of now, it's on their channel. It's really the only place you can watch it. It's not even available to buy or to, to rent on Amazon. It's, uh, I don't know, I would highly recommend this movie, especially if you like Jack Nicholson or if you like the genre in general or you're just looking for, uh, for a good movie to watch. Uh, I would highly, highly recommend it. Fuck yeah, dude. I'll check it out. Yeah, it's good shit. I would, I would recommend it. So, um, yeah, we hope you guys enjoyed our, uh, our nostalgia revisit. I think everybody does that from time to time. So, yeah. Um, yeah. You got anything to add before we wrap it up? Uh, no, I don't think so. It's uh, yeah. The nostalgia, it's kind of interesting. The question is kind of interesting, you know, cause sometimes it can be a little depressing to kind of look back on, on things that you're never going to, you know, you never be able to recapture that feeling, but also it can be kind of fun, especially during times like this to go back and kind of fondly remember like all that childhood shit that we all, uh, you know, all the, those formative artistic, you know, influences from an early age. So yeah, re- I don't know. Reach out. Um, if you're out there, we've been getting a lot of, um, a lot of listeners lately. Apparently the quarantine is, uh, is bringing you guys over to the silver screen video, which is great. 
uh, reach out to us. Let us know what is what is what are your nostalgia movies? What uh, what what kind of movies or, or, or TV shows even that were the you know kind of formative for your own artistic uh, you know falling in love with cinema or whatever? Um, yeah, reach out to us. Let us know. Absolutely. And not just that. Reach out and let us know what you're watching while quarantined. You have any recommendations for us? Our most recent episode was uh, an episode about the uh, the great Guillermo del Toro uh, and his filmography. Be sure to check that out if you haven't. But aside from that, we got a lot of good content for you guys. So feel free to check us out if you have not, if this is your first time. And yeah, outside of that, just uh, stay safe out there and we'll get through this. We just got to keep our heads down and push on. So Aside from that, we hope you guys enjoyed this nostalgia-based episode, and thanks for stopping by the Silver Screen Video.